2: Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I am your guest host today, Linda House, President of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. All during the month of October, we hear about breast cancer prevention, screening, and treatment as a part of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. On today's show, we're going to dive into an important area and breast cancer topic that is often overlooked, and that is a topic around breast reconstruction. As a matter of fact, every October, there's a special day, which is Breast Cancer Reconstruction Awareness Day. And studies have shown that women are not very familiar with breast cancer reconstruction and what their options are, which is why this Awareness Day has been created, and also that there are many myths and misconceptions about reconstruction, reconstructive surgery. So we are fortunate today to have a panel of guests who will be exploring breast cancer reconstruction I keep saying breast cancer reconstruction, I mean breast reconstruction basics. Um, They have had firsthand experience through the lives of a patient, two patients and providers. They'll talk to us about new advancements in this field. We will also take a look at some of the medical costs and progress that have been made in health policy relating to breast reconstruction. Joining us today is Dr. Jeff Asherman site chief of the Division of Plastic Surgery and professor of surgery at Columbia University Medical Center. Welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here.
3: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
2: And also joining us is a longtime friend of mine, Susan Scanlon, breast cancer survivor and women's health and
4: women's rights advocate.
2: Susan, it's so great to hear your voice again, and thank you for joining us.
4: Oh, I'm delighted, and I I, I can't wait till it's face-to-face, Linda. (laughs)
2: Thank you. And last but not least, we have Jenny Saldana, who is also a breast cancer survivor and a patient navigator, which is an extremely important physician for uh, women who are going through reconstruction. Jenny, thank you for being here.
5: Thank you for having me.
2: So, Dr. Asherman, I'd like to start with the basics. Um, Could you just help our listeners understand what is breast reconstruction?
3: Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, breast reconstruction is a relatively broad term that refers to surgery of the breast to restore a normal appearance to the breast. Uh, so, that term can be applied to several different areas of surgery. It can be applied to a woman who's born with a, a breast abnormality, let's say the breast does not. Uh, develop normally, that's one type of breast reconstruction, but most commonly, and what we will be talking about today, it refers to restoring a breast after part or all of it has been removed, uh, usually for cancer. So, and, and following a cancer surgery, there's a lumpectomy where a portion of the breast is removed, or a woman could have a mastectomy where the entire breast is removed, and the plastic surgeon usually works with the breast surgeon. The breast surgeon does the removal, and then the plastic surgeon does the reconstruction. And the reconstruction can be done at the same time as the mastectomy, and that's called immediate reconstruction, or in some cases, it can be delayed, done several months or even years after mastectomy, and that's referred to as a delayed reconstruction. Uh, furthermore, when we do reconstruction, we're Really looking at both breasts. So, even if we're only making one breast, we want the total result, the final result, to look as symmetric as possible. So, when you discuss reconstruction, not only do we focus on the side that has the mastectomy, but we look at the other side as well. And sometimes we will do something on the other side to help achieve symmetry. It may be reducing the other breast or a breast reduction on the other side. Sometimes it can actually mean enlarging the other breast or an augmentation, and then sometimes it simply means lifting the other breast, and that's called a breast lift. So that's all uh, under the umbrella term of breast reconstruction.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and before we go any further, uh, you know, we I keep saying women, do men who have breast cancer have any form of breast reconstruction?
3: Oh, well, that's an excellent question, and occasionally they do. Uh, obviously a man's breast is not as large as a woman's, but still men can develop breast cancer, and when they undergo removal of that tissue, it can leave an indentation. So occasionally men will choose to have something put there to restore normal appearance to that breast as well. Great. Thank you.
2: And And, and we know that there are different types of breast reconstruction. So you you mentioned the timing, um, immediate and delayed, but are there different types? And if the answer is yes to that, give us a quick overview of, of what those are.
3: So there's two main types of breast reconstruction. One type is using a woman's own tissue and the other type is based on implants. So when you take a woman's own tissue, you're moving tissue from another part of the body, most commonly the abdomen, and moving that up and using it to make a breast. But you can also occasionally take the tissue from the back or even less commonly from the buttocks or the thighs. Uh, So that's usually one big surgery. But when the woman wakes up, the breast reconstruction is usually done in that single stage. The other type of breast reconstruction involves implants, and that's usually done in two stages. The first stage involves putting an expander, which is almost like a deflated balloon, underneath the muscle, and then the woman comes to the office and we gradually stretch out that expander until we've created a big enough pocket to put in a permanent implant. Occasionally, that permanent implant is placed in at the time of the mastectomy, but usually, in most situations throughout the country, it's done following expansion. So, those are the two main types of of reconstruction. And the expander is most commonly uh, filled with saline. That's the way it has traditionally been done. Uh, But there is an ongoing study right now looking at another way of performing tissue expansion in which the expander is filled by carbon dioxide. Uh, And a woman can do that type of expansion at home because she has a handheld dose controller, and she can simply press a button that releases CO2 inside the expander to Uh, to stretch it. But so far, that has not uh, received final approval from the FDA. So most women undergoing tissue expansion go to their doctor's office every few weeks and receive saline injections to stretch out that expander.
2: Hmm. Thank you. Um, Susan, I would like to just pivot to you for a second. So in addition to being a women's health advocate, you are also a breast cancer survivor, and you yourself have had reconstruction. Can you just tell us a little about your cancer story and your experience with reconstruction?
4: Linda, when I was diagnosed with stage 1 breast cancer in 2005 at age 51, it came as no surprise. I'm a third-generation breast cancer patient. My grandmother and my mother both died of the disease. My younger sister and I are both survivors. So sadly and and happily, when my diagnosis arrived, I was not short of knowledge or experience or support. My family history had uh, prepared me. You sit back, absorb the bad news, hold a couple self-pity parties, and shake your fist at the heavens. Then you gather yourself together, you get a note taker to accompany you to all doctor's appointments, you do your research and ask the right questions. That's so you can make an unrushed, well informed decision. So I got a diagnosis and I went to work, talking with survivors, finding physicians, re- researching websites like those of the um, American Cancer Society and the cancer support community. Initially, I wanted the most minimally invasive course of treatment. I decided to have a lumpectomy, but despite all of my efforts, the lumpectomy didn't work out. The surgeon didn't get clean margins on my tumor. Rather than take any further risks, and I must say that my mental anxiety was worth it, worse than any of my physical Symptoms. I changed doctors and opted for a bilateral or double mastectomy with immediate reconstruction, and I'm really glad I did. And Jenny,
2: you are also a breast cancer survivor, and you have had experience with reconstruction. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and your experience?
5: Yes, my story is a little bit uh, different. I was, I was 34 when I was diagnosed. I was too young. Uh, for a mammogram uh, for the for the year the year before I got diagnosed I, I was having all these breast issues and I was I kept getting told that I was too young and that didn't fit the profile didn't have family history so it took me a lot it took me about a year to get diagnosed um, it was very frustrating and difficult um, I was pretty much dismissed and thrown away by uh, the medical professionals that I was dealing with at that time. At one point, uh, my breast had grown almost a cup size, and I had a a discharge, a nipple discharge, and I was told, and I quote, because I'll never forget this, if it's not bloody, we don't care. We're not going to check it. So I had a really horrible experience until I finally went to New York Presbyterian Hospital, and I was um, diagnosed so I was diagnosed. Two weeks later, I had to have a full mastectomy with a tram reconstructor. Dr. Ashman's actually my plastic surgeon. He performed my tram reconstruction, which is where they made the breast from my belly. And that was in 2006. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how, I'll ask either
2: Jenny or Susan um, to speak to this, but how has your experience with having reconstructive surgery, how has that really helped you in terms of um, your, your confidence or your willingness or your interest to, to share your story with other women?
4: Well, uh, Susan here. One thing I always advise women to do in life and in breast cancer is to stop second-guessing yourself. I'm confident I did a proper job of investigating my options, and 11 years later I couldn't be happier with the decision I made to go with reconstruction. When people remark about me being a cancer survivor, I actually have to remind myself that, yeah, I am, because life has gone on, and I rarely, if ever, dwell on that time of troubles. I wish the temporary expander option that Dr. Ashman talked about had existed in my day, because each trip I made to the plastic surgeon's office for a saline fill, and there were at least 10 of them over the course of four months, reminded me that I was still a patient. It reinforced the fact that I was still not in control of my life. I would encourage diagnosed women to talk to as many people as they can about whether or not to have reconstruction, and then they should make their decision and trust
5: their gut.
2: Thank you. Jenny, anything you would add to that?
5: Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. Also, I think that my personal experience, because I was so young and I wasn't, and again, I didn't fit the profile, it's really helped me. Um, want to be there for other women who are at the start of their of that journey. Um, I'm very proud to say that working as a patient navigator, I, I show my patients what I look like and, and the peace that washes over their face when they see that, that, first of all, that a mastectomy isn't, for lack of a better term, chopping it off, which is what you think when you think mastectomy. Um, I, I'm proud of how I look and the fact that, I can be an example to other women uh, because I've had reconstruction. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, thank you both. You're an inspiration. And we are going to take our first commercial break. Today's show is sponsored by Eric Sanders, and we will be back with more information on breast reconstruction right after this commercial break.
6: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed
7: or call 617-733-5848.
1: You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
2: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am your guest host today, Linda House, and we are back with Dr. Jeff Asherman, Susan Scanlon, and Jenny Saldana on our show today... Speaking about breast reconstruction, you know we have talked a bit about you know what reconstruction is. Both Susan and Jenny have shared with us a bit of their uh, their experience. But you know, as we were closing the last segment, Dr. Asherman, we really didn't go to you to 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 understand sort of your experience with women who have had reconstructive surgery.
3: Well, as Jenny mentioned, I had the pleasure of taking care of her, but. The last few years, most of my interactions with Jenny has been in her role as a patient navigator, and I can say that she makes the patients feel so happy and puts them so much at ease with her mannerisms and when she shows them what she looks like, and they see that how great she looks and how positive she is on life. So when I meet the patients who come down with Jenny to be introduced to me as a plastic surgeon, she's already done such a great service that it's so helpful. And so I cannot say enough how much it helps patients to be around someone who's had breast cancer and, and can share their experience and, and put it in perspective.
2: So, let's, so let's, um, let's sort of stay on that general theme, Dr. Asherman. And uh-huh. when when somebody is diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, when should they start thinking about the breast cancer reconstruction, and I know that you, you know, you talked about the immediate and delayed. But mm-hmm. you know, sort of talk us through what patients really need to get to the point where they can uh, they can make that that decision, or is it largely based on their eligibility physically?
3: Well, I think ideally a woman is referred to a plastic surgeon about the same time that she meets the breast surgeon. In fact, that. Columbia University at New York Presbyterian, where I am, that's usually how it's done. The the breast surgeon usually refers the patient to a plastic surgeon, and we often try and see them the same day. And and I think that's helpful because the, the surgeries are often done together, so it helps the woman to get as much information as she can from the beginning to make the best choice that she can make for herself. And every patient... Is different, and every woman 's situation is different, and that 's why there 's no nothing cookbook about this and that 's why I think it 's so helpful to to meet the plastic surgeon and the breast surgeon uh, from the beginning and Then we also work with the other members of our team, such as oncologists, to come up with a, a an appropriate treatment plan um, and then we have found that usually. Once a woman has that information, uh, it's very helpful in that most women do decide to go on and have reconstruction. Often when I meet a woman who didn't have reconstruction initially, it's just because she uh, wasn't aware that that was an option or she didn't have that information at the time of the mastectomy. So ideally, uh, they can get the information as soon as possible in the process and then begin to make what is the right decision for them.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, Susan, can you, can you take it from there and just short, share with us about your experience and how you came to making that decision?
4: Uh, Linda, I was greatly disheartened by the unsuccessful lobectomy. And now I understand that failing to achieve clean, clear margins is not at all uncommon. But that's mm-hmm. when I went with a new and wonderful breast surgeon who performed my bilateral mastectomy. Remember, my mother had a mastectomy in 1967. I was all too aware of what life looked like for women when reconstruction didn't exist. I wanted to come away from this unfortunate experience looking the same, if not better, <laughs> than I did before it befell me. I decided on two-stage implants. Uh, the initial, as, as Dr. Ashman has explained, uh, the initial tissue expanders were installed immediately after my surgery and then replaced by permanent implants about four months afterwards. Uh in the interim I visited the plastic surgeon's office every couple weeks for saline injections that gradually stretched the skin tissue to accommodate my new improved state of the art breast.
5: <laughs> and mm-hmm.
4: once again let me just say that I wish we'd had the uh tissue expander option that uh, Dr. Ashman's talked about because I think I would have gone with it. Mhm
2: and And so, Jenny, you know what I'm trying to to also think about for our listeners you know, and given the fact that you have this experience and you're also a navigator, can you just sort of talk talk to our listeners about decision making and timing, and you know do they is this something they have a decision they have to make early is it um you know do they have weeks, months, years to make this decision to move forward?
5: It's really up to the patient when they want to proceed with with reconstruction. Some women wait a few years. Some people want to just get through the whole cancer part of it, and then after they've done that, go back and get the reconstruction. Some people want to do it immediately. I did it immediately. Uh, That was my choice. But uh, every... Every patient is different. Uh, like Dr. Ashman says, I'm one of the first people that a patient meets when they get diagnosed. They meet me, they meet the breast surgeon, or they meet the oncologist, and they meet me, and I said, hi, my name is Jenny, I had cancer, I'm a patient here, and let's talk. What do we know? I, I see, I ask them what they're doing, How? what kind of treatment, do we know what kind of treatment they're going into? Some people, it may not be an option to have uh, reconstruction right away because they're going to have, you know, either radiation or whatever treatments that that that's going to come their way um, may delay the reconstruction process, but it's completely after them. Hearing a cancer diagnosis can be so overwhelming and so devastating that at that moment some women just can't get past the word cancer. So as the navigator, I am with them and I hold their hand and I, and they call me and we talk about it and we talk about options and we have many options. Uh, we discuss those, and if I need to go and accompany them down to plastic surgery to, make, to meet Dr. Asherman, I'm there with them, and I I, I don't want to say I help them make the decision, but I'm there guiding the decision to make sure that they make the right decision for them.
2: Mm-hmm. And, Dr. Asherman, I think one of the things that, that is so important, and when you think about Jenny's role in particular, is that there are a lot of advances um, in breast reconstruction. And I would say, so I, I began my oncology nursing career a little while ago. <laughs> and I, you know, I think back over the last 30 years, um, there have been a lot of advances. And um, could you just talk us through some of the new technologies that you're seeing?
3: Sure. So as I briefly mentioned before, I've been involved in a clinical trial of a whole new type of tissue expander, which is using carbon dioxide instead of saline to add volume to the expander. and It's really the first, I think, significant innovation in tissue expansion in at least the last 40 years or so. It's currently pending FDA clearance, so it can only be used uh, in trials. But what makes this expander different is that it's controlled by the woman, not the doctor. So rather than having to come into the office for the injections, The woman is given this little handheld dose controller, and she takes it home, and she can dose herself up to three times a day. Uh, There are a number of safety mechanisms built into this to help prevent uh, the woman giving herself too much, but each time she presses this. Uh, dose controller, 10 cc's of CO2 is released within the expander, which is a relatively small dose. And then depending how she feels, she can do it, as I mentioned, up to three times a day. But because she's doing this every day, as opposed to once every few weeks in the doctor's office, uh, in the trials that we've done, it's really allowed women to complete the process much more quickly. Uh, Furthermore, because it is given in small doses rather than one larger dose every few weeks, uh, it seems to be tolerated very well with uh, less discomfort than we sometimes see with the saline expansion. And I also think very importantly, it allows the woman to have more control over the process. They can do it at home. They can do it at work. I've had people even do it in their car on the way to work So they, because they can give this dose right through their clothes, just hold hold up the dose controller near the expander and it communicates with a wireless antenna and when they press the button, that small dose of CO2 is given off. So People actually seem very happy to be using this. I have one woman right now who said when she presses a button to start it, her 8-year-old son runs over and he wants to press the button. And, and you see women talk about it with a smile, and it's, it's nice to see some development that really allows a woman to regain more control over the process, and uh, it's an exciting uh, uh, technology that we are working on and we're waiting to hear back from the FTA before it could be used commercially.
2: Mm-hmm. Sounds very high-tech.
3: Well, it seems to be working well. We did finish one uh, multi-center trial that was done at 17 different institutions across the United States, both academic and private practices, small and large hospitals, and so far the results seem very promising.
2: Wow, that's great. And then tell us about the I mean have there been any recent advancements in the, the, the breast cancer or the I'm sorry, the breast implants themselves or the post surgical care of patients? What else have you seen? Yeah,
3: absolutely. Uh, one first of all there's the, the the more and more implants are coming on the market in terms of types of implants, particularly silicone implants with different shapes and different textures. Uh, so that's helpful. Implants that feel more and more natural. Something else that has become very popular the past um, few years is fat grafting where we take a woman's own fat, often from her abdomen. We remove it, as you might do in liposuction, but instead of discarding it, we inject it around the breast. And often that helps smooth out the contour. It helps smooth out the transition from the implant to her own chest wall. If there's any rippling seen from the implant, it can help smooth that out. So that is another exciting development that is being done more and more commonly throughout the country.
2: Mm-hmm. And then a number of us have heard about tattoo artists who are doing 3D tattoos to recreate a a very real-looking nipple for patients who may not have had nipple preservation.
3: Sure. So often the nipple and the areola complex are removed at the time of the mastectomy. And often I will reconstruct that in my office, usually in two stages. The woman will come in, and under local anesthesia, I'll make some cuts in the skin where we want the nipple to be, and then wrap these little pieces of skin around each other for the projection of the nipple. And then I allow that to heal, and we'll then go back and tattoo it. And I have a lot of different colors. And with the woman, we choose the color uh, that we think is best. If she only had one breast removed, then we're trying to obviously match it to the other breast. And if both were removed, uh, we see what color uh, appeals to her most, uh, but some people, rather than have their doctor do it, will go to a professional or a medical tattoo person, and there have been some fantastic advancements with some very skilled medical tattoo people who, without actually making a nipple, they can do the 3D tattoo that you mentioned, and with shadowing, make it look very much like a real nipple and a real
2: well, thank you for that. And I was going to say, well, you know, we're we're going to a commercial break, and and after this commercial break, we're going to come back and talk about expectations and misconceptions. And you just dispelled uh, one of my my misconception, and that is uh, that the that the plastic surgeon doesn't actually do the tattooing. So it sounds like um, women have the option to, uh, to 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 do a couple of different ways um, in, in making that happen. So yeah, thank you for that. Today's show is sponsored by Air Expanders, and we will be right back from the break to, again, talk about expectations and misconceptions surrounding breast reconstruction.
6: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
2: Hi. I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities' Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, ASI, are committed to human healthcare, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
7: Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, and over Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Mealtrain, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MagnoliaB
6: or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
2: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today I am joined by three fantastic guests, Dr. Jeff Asherman, who is the site chief of the Division of Plastic Surgery and professor of surgery at Columbia University Medical Center, Susan Scanlon, who is a breast cancer survivor and women's health and rights advocate, and Jenny Saldana, who is a breast cancer survivor and also works as a patient navigator. We would love to talk to. in this next segment, um, a little about both the myths and misperceptions that patients might have around reconstruction and to also, you know, understand where where patients go to get uh, additional information. And so, Dr. Asherman, I'm going to start with you and, you know... We, you know we heard a little bit from Jenny, just in terms of timing of of, of patients and what they could expect in terms of um, rehabilitation or the time it takes to really heal, but you know generally, what should a person expect in terms of you know healing and you know more importantly sort of adjusting to their new normal
3: sure, so of course, everyone is different, but in general, I would say that. Following a mastectomy, if a woman has a tissue expander placed, she'll usually be in the hospital one or sometimes two days. Uh, If a woman has reconstruction with her own tissue, uh, she's usually in the hospital a little bit longer, maybe an average of three or four days. In many cases, a woman goes home with drains uh, because when you do a surgery, if a lot of fluid is... Produced. You don't want that to build up under the skin. You want it to be able to come out, and that's what the drains are placed for. So I usually see my patients the following week, and in many cases I can remove some or all of the drains then. And then how quickly a woman can go back to work really depends on, you know, the type of work that she's doing. If she's uh, working, let's say, uh, a job where she's primarily sitting at a desk, perhaps she can go back the following week. If the patient, let's say, is a teacher with little children running around, something more strenuous, uh, then it's going to be several weeks. But again, you know, we look at each patient individually. If the woman had reconstruction with her own tissues in general, that's a little bit longer recovery than with a tissue expander, but then they don't have that second surgery that you have with a tissue expander when it's exchanged for an implant. So those are kind of the immediate uh, considerations. And then long-term, I actually never discharge my reconstruction patients. I like to always follow them just to make sure everything continues uh, to be fine and Uh, If if a patient has implants, we just want to check them to make sure they're staying soft and intact. And if a woman has her own tissue, again, we want to examine the breast and also where the breast is taken from, that that part of the body, and make sure everything uh, remains uh, healthy long-term. And usually, for me, those visits almost become as much as social visits. I I love seeing my patients long-term, but Part of the visit is checking and making sure that everything is staying long term the way it should.
2: Great. And, and, and Susan and Jenny, I'm going to pivot to you. And uh, Jenny, I'm going to ask you to go first. So you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to have this show is to really educate our listeners on not only options, but ways in which they can make um, the best decision for their lifestyle and preference. And so when you look back on your experience, or maybe even some of the people that you serve in your role as navigator, are there some things that you had misperceptions about? Um, or are there some things that you wish you would have known when you were looking at these as options
5: well um I always say that things were different when I was what I call a cancer civilian. So, yes, I had a lot of mm-hmm. misconceptions when I was a cancer civilian. I, I did not. First of all, I didn't even know that I could get the breast reconstruction from my own tissue. So when Dr. Asherman presented that to me, that's immediately where I, to go, where I wanted to go. I had a lot of misconceptions about breast implants. I thought you had to replace them every five or six years or five to ten years, and I just didn't want to go through that. And I think knowing now, what, if I knew then what I know now, I may have been more open to um, to implants, even though I love 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 the reconstruction that i that i that I got uh, with Dr. Asherman, but you know it was a more difficult surgery it was a more it was a longer surgery it it, it did keep me on bed rest a lot longer than had I had implants, but then I was done all at once. I think that personally I also had um, talking about misconceptions uh, i i I guess, I'm impatient, so I expected the breast to look exactly like it was supposed to look, you know, immediately, and no, it took some time to fall into place, I remember Dr. Ashman telling me, no, gravity's going to kick in, it's going to fall into place, and at first I was like, oh, I think this man's crazy, I don't think (laughs) so, but but it did, of course, because he's a genius, and, um, uh, so, yeah, it, it fell into place, and it, it, it looks very natural, and I'm very, very happy with my reconstruction. But I do think that there are a lot of misconceptions, and I, uh, like Dr. Ashman said before, I like to show the patients what I look like. I take them in a room, one-on-one. I said, if you'd like to look, you can look. If you want to touch, you can touch. I just want you to be at ease. And, again, the piece. And comfort that washes over their faces when they see me, and they and they see that I'm thriving, that I look normal, that I can wear a regular bra, that I can wear a low cut shirt, that I can, you know, it, it's that sometimes is payment enough for me. hmm And
2: Susan, tell us what you wish you would have known at the time.
4: Um, I am absolutely not second guessing myself. Um, I came out of surgery, and then I came out of reconstruction, and I was so glad to be alive and cancer-free and have all of that in my rearview mirror that I got back to a new normal right away. I remind Mm -hmm. myself all the time how lucky I am um, because of ever-improving medical technology. I've now outlived my mom by almost 20 years. And to stay on the sunny side, and because Jenny mentioned it, I always tell reconstruction candidates that gravity no longer applies to my bus line. If I make it to 90, these breasts will never sag. And isn't that something to look forward to?
2: <laughs> well, so, so Susan, I'm just going to ro- go with the roll here, right? So let's talk a bit about body image. Um, you know, and so we've heard from patients, it may not be your experience, that, that they may have had trouble just sort of adjusting to the loss of, of their breast. And so, you know, what would you say to women or men um, as they go back to feeling normal, you know, in, in, in their new way?
4: Um, it's all mental after after you've been through breast cancer um you've got to decide that the brain can be an instrument of healing or of torture so you don't want to be looping your own funeral you want to be thinking about my god i've got two two from, in my case two new breasts and um they look terrific and they're always going to look terrific and i'm alive and um uh i felt like i had reviewed every option and that i took the one that was best for me and once again I never second guess myself
5: can I can I add something to that absolutely um, I, as the patient navigator and again I deal with a lot of young survivors uh, people who are diagnosed I'm still single I'm still dating that body issues is a huge uh, issue for, for younger women going through breast uh, cancer and breast cancer and breast reconstruction so uh, I, I think that I, I like to tell the patients that you have to get used to your new normal, and that we're going to try to get you to look as close to who you were before as possible. But it does take a time of adjustment. It does take um, some time to get used to the new normal, to get used to your new body, to to um, to learn to love your body again. It, I will say um, personally, it took me a while, but now that I'm on the other side and I'm with patient navigate and I'm with patients, I also guide them and talk to them because it is, it is scary at first, especially when you're a younger woman dealing with this. You don't expect to be dealing with this in your 30s like I did or even in your 20s, which we have patients that are in their 20s. So it does take time, but there is a new normal and there is light at the end of the tunnel.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Jenny, stay stay with that just a little bit longer, too. So if we have somebody who's listening to the show today, and they are in that phase of, you know, trying to understand what's happened, what is happening, you know, how do they get back to a a place where they feel normal, what are some of the resources um, that that, that you can share with them? Or where do you you direct them for um, support or education, whatever they need?
5: Well there are there are um organizations that that deal specifically with young survivors. Anyone diagnosed under the age of forty is considered a young survivor. Also it's the little things like I kept asking Dr. Ashman when can I get it when can I wear an underwater bra again like that to me was going to be my 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 back to normal when he allowed me to wear an underwater bra again, and it was that that when I bought my first underwater bra post cancer, that's when I felt okay. Jenny 's back, you know, so that 's what it was for me. It may not be that for someone else, but uh, when it comes to resources, uh, I guess i 'm the best resource I can offer a patient at, at where I, with, with what I do. I tell them what I do, I tell them my, I, I tell my story, but there are other young survivors that I am privy to that I have access to that I can connect. I can do a lot of uh, peer matching and helping people understand and, and talk and and really just um, dish it out and, and say what they need to say and, and express how they feel, because I think that when you're a young survivor, you do feel alone. I didn't know about the resources. I was alone. I was the first person I ever met with breast cancer. So um, it was difficult for me. I had to do it on my own. So now that I've been here, I like to just be the spearhead for that, for that next person.
2: hmm And I I expect that that the way in which we really started this conversation, which is that this is a highly personal journey for women, regardless of their age uh, and men, um, definitely applies here and getting back to uh, some level of of new normal for them. It's highly personal. Absolutely.
3: If I can add, this is a, a radio show, so you don't see Jenny, but... Jenny is the type of person, when she's in a room, she just lights up the room. Everyone sees her. They see her smile. They see her confidence. They, they get to talk to her and see what a wonderful person she is. And I think if, if women can meet other women such as Jenny or Susan and others who've had the cancer, put it behind them, and are living great lives, I think it's very inspirational. And I think that is absolutely one of the, the best resources. Jenny said it modestly, but it is so true because you can read things, but when you meet someone like Jenny, uh, you just see how special she is. And I think that puts people at such ease.
2: Mm-hmm. That's great. And this is a perfect way for us to go to our last commercial break. Today's show is sponsored by Eric Expanders, and we will be back to wrap things up in our final segment right after this commercial break.
6: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Cancer. It's a lonely word, terms I don't understand, choices
7: I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help.
0: Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials.
7: Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. or call 617-733-5848.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
2: Welcome to the final segment of Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've had such a great conversation today. And in the last segment, um, we would really like to talk about um, resources that are available to to patients who are making decisions around breast reconstruction and also secure some final thoughts from um, our guests today. And Susan, I'd like to start this segment with you. You have dedicated your life to advocating for women's rights and rights that also include women's health. So what steps forward have you seen in the area of breast cancer and breast reconstruction? And what progress do you think still needs to be made? And you know what makes you particularly proud of the work that you've done?
4: Linda, I've been fighting to improve women's health on Capitol Hill since 1977. Uh, That includes getting women into clinical trials at the National Institutes of Health and putting more federal dollars towards researching, treating, and curing those diseases that disproportionately impact women, like osteoporosis and lupus and, above all, breast cancer. So back in 1998, I helped Congress, helped as in nagged and cajoled and threatened Congress to get past the Women's Health and Cancer Rights Act. This law states that if a woman's, woman's health insurance provider covers mastectomies, the plan must also cover all stages of breast reconstruction. And this is critical information. So I'm hoping that listeners will take away this most important fact. If your insurance plan covers breast cancer surgery, it must cover reconstruction. No ifs, ands, or buts. This coverage includes delayed reconstruction and any procedure needed for healthy breasts. Listen to this. One in five women who forego breast reconstruction following mastectomy reported a lack of knowledge, as Dr. Ashman said, about the procedure, and that's 20 years after the law was enacted. So... I'm asking your listeners to help me raise awareness of this issue. During one of the most stressful times in their lives, breast cancer diagnosis, we all want women to know their options to make the most informed decision on what's right for them. And also, Great.
3: if I could just add to what Susan said, not only are they required to, recover, to cover, to reimburse for the reconstruction on the side with the mastectomy, but they're also required to cover any procedure done on the other side, such as a reduction or a lift to increase symmetry.
2: Hmm, that's very helpful. I just, and I just want to repeat that for our listeners. So if you have a health insurance plan that covers your mastectomy, by law, that plan must cover reconstructive surgery on the affected breast and the non-affected breast, the contralateral breast. Exactly. And for patients who aren't necessarily aware of this or you know, may not be able to, to secure information from their um, insurance provider, is there a place where they could go to learn more or get help?
3: One good source is the American Society of Plastic Surgery, uh, which is the main uh, organization overseeing the specialty on a national level. Their website is plasticsurgery.org, and if you go there, there's lots of resources which are accessible to the public to find out more, and they have a referral service uh, where they can lead you to board-certified plastic surgeons who perform this type of surgery.
4: Um, We all know that women are the best communicators or networkers on earth, so um, I always suggest you harness the internet. And there are a number of sites women can go to, not only for education, but also to discuss their cancer experience through blogs and chat networks with others who've been down the road ahead of them.
2: Great. Thank you for that, and I appreciate that. And Jenny, so let's talk about a different form of advocacy, and that is awareness, and awareness on a broad scale. And I um, heard a bit of a rumor about you and a pretty well-renowned um, magazine that is on stands today. Why don't you tell us about that?
5: Yes, I'm very proud to say that I'm officially a Glamour Girl. I featured in the October issue of Glamour Magazine. I'm quoted on the cover, and it's an, it, uh, they had a very specific article about breast cancer and dating, breast cancer survivorship, and dating, again, as a... As, as someone who got diagnosed under 40, uh, dating is still an issue. Well, it's is definitely always an issue, but um, uh, it, it's it's a bigger issue once you've had breast cancer and breast cancer reconstruction. So, yes, I'm in the October 2016 issue of Glamour Magazine talking about my experience as a breast cancer survivor and bringing awareness and how I'm very open about everything that I went through with anyone that I meet because I feel that the only way you can uh, help someone else, uh, no, not the only way, one of the ways that you can help someone else is by telling your story. I tell everyone, tell your story because you just don't know who you're going to help. So I hope that my story in Glamour Magazine is an inspiration to other young women who are diagnosed and feel that this is the end, the end of their dating life, the end of their reproductive life, the end of anything like that, and that is ob- absolutely not the case.
2: And so we've heard of, and, and this is what I love about, about our conversations, is we've, we've, we've heard two different forms of advocacy. One is going to Capitol Hill and really creating broad system change to help make sure that patients who deserve to have coverage for reconstructive surgery actually have access to that. And your form of advocacy is raising awareness, sharing your story, making sure that people like you understand, you know, what you've gone through and how they can come out on the other side of that. That's great. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of that and share it with, with someone who may be going through, uh, through this experience. So, Dr. Asherman, before we close the show today, are there any resources that you recommend? And I know that you've um, you, you mentioned one, but are there any other resources that you would recommend to your patients who might be considering uh, breast reconstruction, reconstruction surgery?
3: In my office, I have some printed material that i 've written, and I imagine that you know many other plastic surgeons have done that there are also brochures put out by the American Society of Plastic Surgery and some other organizations which we can share as susan said there 's a lot on the internet i 've put some material, some videos on the internet, as have others uh, so those are all available. And then, again, as I mentioned, our National Society has a website, www.plasticsurgery.org, where there's all types of information available and additional uh, resources are, are pointed out to patients if they want to look further into this.
2: Great. Thank you. And I'll take, I'll take just a quick second to make a plug for the cancer support community. And we actually have an ebook that can be downloaded from iTunes on reconstruction. And then we also have the Cancer Experience Registry. I know many of our listeners have heard us talk about the Cancer Experience Registry. And we would love for people to share their experience there. And I'll give the website here towards the end. Uh, so we have just a quick minute. Susan, Jenny, any final words before we, uh, we leave our listeners today?
4: Well, I'd, I'd like to, say, to just say that I can't emphasize more strongly that breast cancer is a path you don't walk alone or without full knowledge of all your options prior to surgery. It's, it's a path so many of your sisters and mothers and BFFs have already walked, and we're all here to help you every step of the way.
5: I agree with that, and I also feel I'd like to add that know your body, know what's normal for you. What's normal for me may not be normal for you, so know your body and, and speak up. Be the squeaky wheel because, again, I was dismissed, and I was told there was nothing wrong with me, and I didn't fit the profile, and because I was a squeaky wheel, I was able to finally get a diagnosis, and my life was spared because of it. So know your body and speak up and advocate for yourself.
2: Great. Great advice. Dr. Asherman, Susan, Jenny, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on this show. And we, I believe, I don't hope, I believe and know that this episode will really help patients feel more informed about breast cancer, breast cancer awareness, and importantly, breast reconstruction. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am your guest host, the president of the Cancer Support Community, Kim Tebeldo, your host, will be back with you next week. As many of you know, the Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone, as Susan just told us. Visit our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org to find a location near you or call our toll-free helpline, and that number is 888-793-9355, to speak with a licensed counselor Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And finally, I'd like to remind you to join our Cancer Experience Registry. The website is www.cancerexperienceregistry.org, where you can share your stories and impact people every day. And finally, to the point that Susan made, we would love for you to join our Grassroots Advocacy Network. So if you're the type of person who wants to go on Capitol Hill and wants to really do the things that Susan mentioned during our call today... We encourage you to join CSC's Grassroots Advocacy Network. And that website is www.cscadvocate.org. CSCadvocate.org. Until next time, be well, do well,
5: live well.